What's up, horror fans? Anchor Pete here, and it's time for another episode of The Lasser Cast. I am here with my two favorite co-hosts. Right over there is Mr. Future Boy, Chris. Chris, how's it going? Nice. It's going. It's going. <laughs> and down below us is Danny, Dr. Zayas, G-O-D. <laughs> yeah, Brady Bunch style. Yeah. What's going on? You can find us all on Twitter under those handles I just mentioned. And if this is your first time watching The Lasser Cast show, welcome. We like to talk about horror movies in depth you know, on this channel, and then we also have little 30-second reviews. And so for tonight's episode, we are talking about Shudder's very first horror documentary. We're talking about Horror Noir. And so um, it came out in 2019. It's directed by Xavier Bergen, and it's based on the 2011 book, um, Horror Noir, Blacks and American Horror Films from the 1890s to Present, by Robin Armines Coleman, PhD. And guys, she's throughout this whole movie, right? Yeah. 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 She's so, there. You got UCLA professor uh, Tananari Vadu is there the, most of the time. Uh, one of the writers, Ashley Blackwell, is one of the prominent talking heads also, as well as pretty much every popular star, writer, director, uh, of that's been associated with black horror for about the last 40 years. I'm really glad that you guys recommended it. Um, we are showing this movie because February is Black History Month. And so we're going to start off with this movie and we're going to do our mini reviews for some of the movies that are included in the documentary. Well, I mean, I, I'm a history teacher. So this is, this is more, this is like the fusing of my work life and my after work passion project. When this movie came out, obviously we didn't have a YouTube channel yet, but this was like, I saw this as a way where, oh my God, I can use my love of horror movies to get through to my students. I can use horror movies. I show, like this movie, um, this documentary starts with The Birth of a Nation, uh, the uh, D.W. Griffith film from 1915. I show that in my US history classes. Uh, I warn the kids what they're going to see. I, in, in, you know, I, I used to send permission slips home uh, telling the parents what their kids were going to see. So like the, you watch this documentary and it plays not just as a history of horror movies, which it is. And it's a great history of horror movies. I, I made a list here of about six or seven movies from this documentary that I had never seen and that I went out of my way to check out because of this documentary. But it's not just a, a great movie documentary. It's a movie. It's a documentary about American history. It really is. Uh, the movie starts with a quote that says, we've always loved horror. It's just that horror, unfortunately, hasn't always loved us. And they, they actually use Birth of a Nation as a starting point because they say that a history of black horror is a history of blacks in America. And that's really what this is. And that's why I love it. I've watched it probably five, six times. I watched it again this afternoon just to take notes on it. And there's so much, you don't have to be black to enjoy these movies. You don't even have to be a horror movie fan. There's so, this is such an accessible tool for history, for movies and for everything else. One thing I loved about this was the, the pairing up of 
writers, directors, actors, just to share their experiences, to share their perspectives on film. I love um, uh, seeing Ken Forey and Keith David sitting down together, two, two icons of, of, uh, in, the, in the black community of genre filmmaking. And just, you know, like from, you know, 70s black exploitation all the way up until, you know, the 80s and 90s. It, it, I really just, that's really what, what drew me into this film and what I enjoy the most about it. Movies kind of hold up a mirror to our consciousness, like our collective consciousness. And like this movie, it, it kind of showed that our perception at least in movies of African-Americans was wrong, you know, and that they were portrayed in a very negative light for decades and decades. And it's just really cool to see all the examples they list where it's almost like taking little baby steps forward to, to kind of, you know, rectify that, to change the image of a black character in a movie. And um, it's just interesting to go from like the very beginning of cinema, you know, with Birth of a Nation, all the way up to the present day and like right to when we were teenagers and stuff, when you have like movies like, you know, The Craft and things like that. And you're like, oh, I remember seeing that. And I remember like everything they mentioned and I, I perceived it a different way than I did at now, you know? So it's just, yeah. it's just interesting to see that whole journey that, you know, that transition. Yeah, and, and I, feel, I feel like, look, uh, this needs to be said. I mean, we are three white guys talking about a, a documentary about the history of blacks and horror. Um, and I think that as, you know, coming at it from where we are, it, we go on a journey too watching it because we've grown up with these stereotypes, you know, in the movies, but we probably don't recognize them obviously as much as members of the black community do. Like that was part of what I really enjoyed about this was seeing like I wrote down the roles, uh, you know, in the 30s and 40s where they were servants or they were part of uh, members of a tribe or they were the buffoons. And then as time went on, their roles started to get bigger, but they were still in these very pigeonholed roles of being the sidekick, um, the magical Negro uh, that they and, and that's ironic that they when they said that, I thought of Mother Abigail from The Stand, which ah. uh, I'm reviewing right now with uh, Athena um, and you and Sherry also. They also talk about the sacrificial uh, Negro, the stereotype where basically the Black character is just there to save the white character at the end. And it's just watching that evolve. And, and you see these pairings, as Chris was talking about, where they're like, yeah, that was good. You know, it was cool that we got to do that. We were making money, which is great. But, and they were like playing devil's advocate with each other, which I thought was really interesting uh, there as well. I mean, the first time that, like, the first horror movie I ever saw was Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. And that movie is in here a little bit. And Ken Sagos, who plays Kincaid, was in that movie and he was my favorite character because he got to say, we're gonna whip Freddy's ass all over dreamland. And I was like, yeah, kill him. And as like a six or seven year old, it didn't occur to me that, oh, that's the black badass character who's a sidekick for the, and he's willing to sacrifice himself. And then of course he's the first character to die in part four which yeah. I remember pissed me off because I was like, oh, I love Kincaid. Why did he kill? Ah. So 
you know, like we as like white horror movie lovers, we get to watch this and kind of like have our perceptions changed and like we get to learn stuff as we watch it as well. So we we get to put the, the, the mirror kind of on ourselves as well, which again, that's what really makes this a fascinating documentary in my opinion. And I mean, even going back to, um, you know, when, when I was a little kid seeing the original King Kong, right? Like they were, they referenced that in this documentary too, saying that King Kong and the creature from the Black Lagoon, they represent the other, right? Like the exotic kind of other. And that like their features are even kind of like similar to uh, black caricatures, right? And, and yeah. like it, it evokes that fear of like black men, right? And, and you know, you don't think about that when you're a little kid at all. And, and there's so much that you're just oblivious to, like you said, Danny. Um, and, and just like watching it now through the lens of this documentary, you just kind of cringe a little bit. The, the way the documentary is set up itself is that you have these African-American filmmakers sitting in a theater and they're watching the, the movies on the big screen, right? And they're having their own personal experiences. They're talking about, oh, this is what I felt like when I was watching this, right? And it just cues you in onto how it feels like to be someone else in someone else's shoes watching this. And so it, it is like that because there's times when they point out, yeah, we were portrayed in a bad light in this movie, but they can almost always find like a silver lining of like, oh, well, we were portrayed in a bad light, but at least it was a step forward. You know, like yeah. one example that of, of what I'm talking about is they talk about Yafet Kodo in uh, Alien, right? Mm -hmm. Where they say that, mm -hmm. Um, in Alien, you know, he is the last male actor to die in the movie. He still dies like black characters do up until that point in film history. Yeah. But he was like the last male to live, uh, to die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, Keith, Keith David brings up that like his first movie he was ever in is The Thing. And he lives to the end. Childs is there at the end with McCready. And then he, he follows that up by talking about They Live where he literally dies immediately before the final scene of the movie. So like he, he made it the whole movie. Um, you know, it, there, there's a lot of examples like that. Um, yeah, I like Miguel Nunez who was in return of the living dead and uh, Friday the 13th part five. Uh, he was like, I just started counting the pages to see how long I was actually in the movie. But then he followed that up with, but I got paid and I'm in Friday the 13th and you're not. So it's like he gets the, the validation of like being in one of the great horror franchises of all time. Yeah, he was kind of the stereotypical character who we only remember because he sang while on the toilet having burritos or quesadillas. Yeah, so I mean, like that's kind of where we were really introduced to African-American characters, right? And African-American people in movies starting in the 80s, right? That's like when we're like kids and we're just watching movies. So of course you've seen a whole bunch of African-American characters in the Friday the 13th series. You mentioned, uh, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street series already. And there's that sense of that they are, there's tokenism, right? Where they're basically, you know, they, they're there in the movie to be represented, but then they are killed off, right? And, or there is the, the black sidekick character, which like later on in the 90s and early 2000s, I, I distinctly remember that, like going to the movie theater and like, oh, there's like the black sidekick character, right? And, and so um, like you, you already kind of talked about the two John Carpenter movies with Keith David, Danny. Um, and I think that like John Carpenter has always been a guy that's kind of tried to push the envelope and, you know, be kind of, uh, 
you know, counterculture or, or be fresh and new. And so I think that that was really awesome that he gave Keith David those opportunities, right? And uh, Keith David, of course, like knocked it out of the park, you know, one of my favorite actors of all time. But uh, I know that like for you, Danny, like you're a big fan of uh, Wes Craven's movie, The People Under the uh, Stairs, right? The People Under the Stairs is probably to me, the one of the most underrated films ever made. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's this bizarre film about uh, socioeconomic class, race, uh, all of these things. Uh, it's about the, these two psychotic characters who have this huge house in a mostly urban black community. And it's mentioned at the beginning that they're like the landlords of this whole community. So they're collecting unfairly high rents and taxes from this family, uh, from, from all these uh, black families. So they decide, Ving Rames decides he's going to lead a robbery of their house. And he's going to bring along Brandon Adams, who you guys might remember from the Mighty Ducks and uh, the Sandlot. And he was like 15, I think, when this movie was made. And he's like in a, he's going to be like the decoy so that Ving Rhames and his partner can go and uh, steal. Like basically, they're, they're trying to steal from the house, but they're doing it because these are just dirty landlords that are screwing the entire neighborhood. And it turns out that they're not only terrible landlords, that they are absolutely psychopaths. Psych, uh, they're completely psychotic. They have people living in their walls and under the stairs, hence the title. Um, and they might be cannibals. I think they're cannibals. There's also a lot of S&M craziness in them, uh, in there. Uh, but this movie uh, is focused on in the documentary because of the fact that, like I said, Brandon Adams is not just the star of the movie, he's actually the lead cast member on IMDb. He, he's top billed and it's his movie. It's like this young black kid against these two crazy uh, white people and he has to save the day. And what's amazing about it is that it's just this, it's, it's scary and it really shines a light on um, I think it just shows that in a, in, a, in a neighborhood, we're always more likely to just trust and believe that the white people are there for good reasons and that, you know, there's a lot of shady stuff going on, you know, kind of under the radar that doesn't get examined uh, very often. You know, it's like uh, I teach in one of my classes about how, like, you know, crime in suburban areas is usually very high and there's usually very high drug uh, drug usage rates in suburban America, but those don't get talked about a lot because most of suburban America is white, whereas they always make a big deal when you hear the phrase war on drugs, it's always inner city drugs where there's a lot more black and brown families, people of color. And that, that idea is like front and center here. So far, we've talked about movies that were made by white filmmakers that feature black characters, right? Or black actors, right? But the next movie I was thinking we could talk about is a movie I have not seen, actually. And I haven't seen People Under the Stairs either.
but uh, it's Tales from the Hood from 1995, which is also featured pretty prominently in horror noir. Tales from the Hood, I, I actually kind of brushed aside when it came out. It came out in 1995, and uh, we were, it was marketed as a spoof film. And by 95, we were kind of spoofed out. We had gotten our, uh, like, the third naked gun, and Leslie Nielsen was doing all these, like, doing shit like Spy Hard and just, like, cheap knockoffs, kind of like they did in the 2000s with, like, date movie, epic movie, crap like that. So Tales from the Hood came out, and, um, and it, it was marketed as, like, oh, this is, this is weird. This is, like, a spoof. Is it supposed to be, like, a spoof on Juice or Menace to Society or, or something like that? And I just kind of paid no mind. And I found out later on, like, years later, that it's actually a horror anthology film. And it's actually a really good horror anthology film. And the amazing thing about it is it's got, it, 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 we were talking about positive moments. We went into this wanting to talk about positive moments in, 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 in um, black horror. And with this film, there's, there's not really positive moments, but the positivity I find in it is that it's not one-sided in terms of discussing the black community black culture it it goes after everything it goes after obviously racism touch on the kkk with the the um the story with um um i think it's the um the third story in this film um kkk racism obviously this um this political candidates living in a house where a hundred slaves died and it goes into black on black violence it goes into domestic violence and it has, I, the positivity I find in, in it are these interesting messages of basically like, listen, if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about all of it, you know, and especially the fourth story, which the name escapes me right now, but it's basically the, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, just this violent dude in the community and he's, he's, you know, for lack of a better word, he's a, he's a gangbanger and he's just, he's just not sympathetic at all. He's just relentless in his feelings, just, just a brutal dude. And they're trying to show him, he's in prison, they're trying to reform him and show him like, basically show him like this history and like, look at what has been done to us for so many years. Why are we doing this to each other? And it's such a brave thing to do, not just in film, not just in, uh, you know, at, at that time, but it's just something I, I you know, it, it really is like, wow, it really puts it all, all under a lens, you know, and it manages to have fun too. It's got, it, it's for as thought provoking as it is, it still has a very uh, creep show and Tales from the Dark Side vibe to it. You know, so it's like, it's like a great like 90 minutes, sit down, have some fun, learn a ton of shit you probably didn't know, learn some stuff about yourself, learn some stuff about the black community. And, you know, and it's insanely rewatchable. All right, so, so Tales from the Hood, you know, obviously is an anthology film. And, uh, you know, it's funny because Tales from the Crypt, which came out in uh, 1995, Demon Knight, even though it's an anthology show and we're used to Tales from the Crypt being an anthology, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight is this one story, right? And I remember seeing that as a kid and I remember seeing Jada Pinkett Smith in it and she really like stood out, just her appearance, you know? And they talk about that in horror noir. It's just another of my all time favorites. Uh, and it's funny cause Rusty Cundiff who uh, wrote and directed Tales from the Hood 
um, you know, Chris brought up how there's these awesome pairings uh, of the uh, black filmmakers, writers, directors, and, and actors. Rusty Cundiff is paired with Ernest Dickinson, uh, Ernest Dickerson, sorry. Ernest Dickerson directed uh, Juice, which was awesome. Uh, I think that was, Tupac was in that, I believe, uh, Omar Epps. Uh, and then he directed Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. And then he also directed another movie that's in this uh, documentary, Bones, which I also watched because of this documentary. And it's actually pretty good. And Snoop Dogg is actually a good actor in it. So kudos to him. Uh, but yeah, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. I watched this movie. I was so excited for this movie when it came out because Tales from the Crypt was one of the main horror gateways for me uh staying up till midnight on saturdays to watch it uh on fox when it was on fox uh i remember that so well from my childhood and when i heard that there was going to be like a, a full-length movie i was super excited and yeah um just like with uh people under the stairs this movie is kind of uh famous and they bring this up in the documentary because it's the first time that you get a basically a black final girl uh the final girl trope uh they bring up the book men women and chainsaws uh by carol j clover uh they bring that up in this documentary the they discuss the final girl trope in there and when we think of final girls in horror we think of laurie strode in halloween nancy of course in nightmare on elm street uh sydney in the scream series nobody ever brings up geraldine from Tales from the Crypt Demonite. And she's the, probably, according to the documentary, and I trust them, the first black final girl. And William Sadler is the demon knight. And you basically go through this whole movie where you're thinking, oh, well, William Sadler, you know, he's the good guy. So he's going to somehow make it out of this movie. And, you know, it, it's a movie from 1995. I don't want to spoil it too much if you haven't seen it. But, We've already said Jada Pinkett ends up being the black final girl and the, her journey as a character is just awesome to watch. Uh, Ernest Eckerson does a great job. They, there's that great part in the in horror noir where they talk about how she she called him and said, you know, I, I cut my hair and dyed it blonde. And he was like, what are you doing? Right. Uh, but it just works because it helps her stand out so much more as a character. Uh, that like she looks like this kind of like angry punk you know she's really young in this movie she looks like she's in her like early 20s um she was still jada pinkett i think i don't think she was jada pinkett no. smith yet right so and, uh, and then and then and then west craven kills her a few years later before the fucking title card and screen yeah. too yeah. yeah, Wes Craven. Wes Craven goes really up and down. <laughs> it's like, dude, what are you doing? You made you made two great. You made well, not two great movies for the black community. You made People on the Stairs, and then Vampire in Brooklyn's a thing. Uh, yeah. but you know, I did. But it's like you didn't you didn't recognize that we had this great black, the first great black final girl, and then you kill her before the damn title card and scream two. You know, we, it's funny because we didn't even talk about certain like black leads, like especially uh, going all the way back to Night of the Living Dead, too. Like that's a, that's a big point they make in the documentary as well. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've I've shown I've actually shown Night of the Living Dead in my in um, my I, I taught at night school 
for a few years. And I, I showed Night of the Living Dead one year. It was like around Halloween time. And I figured, okay, this is my one chance of, to get away with showing a horror movie in class and tying it into uh, social factors. And and, uh, and so like I, I basically did like the lesson where I showed them, I basically, before I had even seen this, I kind of did what this, this documentary does. It shows all that like, uh, footage from the 1960s of, uh, you know, the, all the racial tensions from desegregation in the South and uh, all the, the, the protests and the marches and the, the mistreatment by the police towards African-Americans throughout the South. And then you show them Dwayne Jones just kicking ass. Uh, and you know, it, it's one of those things where you can tell by the the, the looks on the faces of the, the the people in the documentary watching him on screen, what he means to that community, like what an icon Dwayne Jones was because of that one role. And the ending of that movie is just one of the biggest gut punches in the in the world. You know, it. Uh, and and that that ties in, I know, uh, to Chris's next movie because they they talk about how there was a chance for the ending to kind of be similar. Uh, oh, are you doing the segues over there, man? Like I do the <laughs> epic segues on this show. <laughs> what is that shit? Stepped <laughs> on your segue toes. Sorry. This ain't no fucking anchor Danny over here, all right? <laughs> I'm waiting for Peter Pause to be like, hold on, what's okay? You fucking tell me, right? Okay, <laughs> get out, get out. Uh, I mean, like most of us, I was floored by Get Out the first time I saw it and looked at it a certain way the first time I saw it and then looked at it a completely different way after watching Horror Noir for the first time. Because hearing these people say, it's the first movie where they don't see the magical Negro, the spiritual, the, uh, not spiritual, the sacrificial Negro, and he's not the first one to die. It's like, wow, it just, it really, it just hits you in all the feels, and you realize how, you know, you thought you knew it was important at the time, and you realize how much more important it actually is. And the ending, the, the infamous, uh, you know, Jordan Peele was you know the character of chris uh played by daniel kaluuya was going to go to jail because to jordan peele that was the most realistic ending and he's told this story a lot uh especially on the on the uh the circuit when it had the uh, oscar nominations and when get out went from a horror film to uh, just a thriller it was a thriller when when it was on the oscar circuit and now it's back to being a horror film again this horror is such a dirty word when it comes to awards but one thing I got to say, I have to give, and I love Jordan Peele, and I don't think he does it on purpose, but I had heard a couple interviews with um, Jason Blum, and Jason Blum is partially responsible as well for having this movie having the ending that it has, because they, they test screen this film, and Jason Blum saw it for the first time, and as he recollects, he says that Jordan Peele is like, are you, are, you, are, you, are you out of your mind? He's like, well, he's like, you can't. He's like, no one wants to see that. He's like, yeah, but this is the most realistic ending. He's like, nobody wants to see that. He's like, they're rooting for this guy. Yeah. He's like, you, 
he's like he's like jordan you, you can't he's like you can't do that and he's like i don't know man this is my vision this is what i want to do he's like i'm telling you he's like the entire audience is gonna walk out just like like he's like you can't do it so again it's really you know sometimes two heads are better than one on these projects but the i don't care who you are or who you tell you who you i don't care who you tell yourself that you are. When you're sitting in that theater and you see those police lights, mm-hmm. yep. there is not one person in that theater, there is not one person watching this film that says, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, they all are just yeah. like... Yeah. It was like a collective no. gasp in my theater. And you feel it. You feel it. This is why you look, look around. You know, hopefully you're in the most diverse theater possible. And you look around and everyone has the same feeling. They're like, no, man, no. And you know what? You can walk out of that theater and you can tell yourself that, that, that you can tell yourself to people you work with, you can tell yourself to people out of the bar that that's not shit that happens in the black community, but you're lying to yourself. Because you know what? You sat in that theater and you watched that cruiser pull up and you were fucking terrified for this guy. Mm. You were terrified. And that is not something you would have felt if that was a white man standing in that road. You mm. would have felt relief. That is not what you felt here. And I mean, you're wearing the us shirt. I mean, us I was basically the yeah, hands, uh, hands across America shirt. Yeah. I love, I, I think Jordan Peele is, you know, such a breath of fresh air for the the film community let alone you know you know between those two films and and you know even if it's not great redoing you know getting the twilight zone back out there uh you know i i think he's a, a relevant voice that we need and the guy won a freaking oscar uh for for yeah. screenwriting for get out that that's ridiculous that's huge it's, that was such a mo. It, it made so much money. It won Academy Awards. He, I think, he's the first black screenwriter to win an Oscar uh, for writing. It, it, there's so much about that movie that uh, w- became part. You know, Get Out was part of the. It's part of the lexicon now. I think. You know, like uh, people still make the oh, I'd vote for Obama for a third term if I can. Like that's like a running joke that has gone past that movie. And uh, I feel like that movie helped probably spur on this documentary. I don't know. I mean, that kind of really bothers me that he's the first African-American to win an Oscar for screenplay. You know, that, that's, I feel like that's bullshit. I mean, because when you look at the people in this documentary, right, the directors and, and then the actors, I mean, these are some of my favorite actors. It doesn't matter if you're, you're black or white or anything. Like I, Keith David is one of my favorite. Tony Todd is ridiculous. Like, and we didn't even talk about Candyman at all in this, you know, in our discussion, but like, just like the, the amount of talent and the fact that it just doesn't get recognized. And yet it's like some of the most iconic performances, some of the most iconic characters that we just think about and we reference all the time. It's, it's just, it's a shame that it's like relegated to, oh, this is like black cinema or this is, you know, it's like, no, these are like, Candyman is iconic. You know, you know we're going to be talking about Get Out for decades to come. You know, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a I shame. I mean, look, uh, our, our, we, we just did 
not long ago, our top horror films of 2020 and our number one film for our channel, Horror of 2020, was His House, which is not about African-Americans. It's about Africans, but it's a black director, um, you know, two black leads. Uh, it's and, and it was a terrifying film. And it that was the movie we picked as our number one movie of the year. And we didn't pick it because, oh, it's a, a movie about black people. We picked it because it's a fucking great horror movie. And, yeah. you know, it, so, you know, we we talked about Dr. Sleep and, and you know, Dr. Sleep has, you know, the two movies I picked had a, a young black male lead and a, a black final girl, Dr. Sleep puts them together and has a young black final girl lead basically um so Mm. you know we're we're seeing progress made they show scenes from the girl with all the gifts yes um and they make they make this really great comparison to night of the living dead because the book that that's based on that character is not uh black the little girl um Dwayne Dwayne Jones according to George Romero and we'll never know if this is 100% true or not a lot of people think he very specifically wanted a black actor but George Romero claimed that Dwayne Jones just happened to be the best actor on that day uh to get the role uh in Night of the Living Dead um it's the same thing in Dr. Sleep uh I just I finished the book not that long ago and Abra in the book is a cute little blonde white girl. So, um, you know, Mike Flanagan didn't set out to omit black people from casting. He interviewed a bunch of young actresses and he picked the best one and she killed it. Hey guys, what's up? It's Anchor Pete here. At the end of our horror noir discussion, my internet went down and Zoom just cut out completely. So um, I just wanted to tell you guys what we have in store for February. Um, We have another episode with our ghost girl greeting friends, uh, Lori and Tony. And in that episode, we're going to be talking about relationships in horror movies. So, uh, you know, characters that are in love and some bizarre things that happen in uh, with horror romance. So we're going to be talking about some examples of that in our next episode, which we're going to film next week. But besides that, since it is Black History Month, we're actually going to be talking about movies that are featured in horror noir. So some of the movies that we talked about tonight and some of the other movies that are talked about in that documentary are going to be movies that we're covering on this channel. So make sure that you are subscribed and you are tuning in for new episodes in The Last Recast every week.